Hey, it's Angel, your friendly neighborhood doula. I'm so excited to have you here on the Birth Cafe podcast, where I'll talk about all things birth, postpartum, and pregnancy. As a certified doula, lactation counselor, and perinatal educator, I'm here to provide you with evidence-based information on interesting topics while also having fun and open conversations about the perinatal period. This podcast is for parents and birth professionals alike, and I hope that you enjoy what you hear. So grab your favorite cup of tea or coffee, sit down, get comfy, and let's get started. Hi, everybody. This is Angel, your neighborhood-friendly doula, welcome you, welcoming you back to the Birth Cafe podcast. I'm so excited to get, have you guys here today, and we have an amazing special guest, Dr. Martin, and he's going to share with us um, a little bit about his new book that he just released and share to with us, you know, how he got into this work and all the amazing work that he's doing with his clients and his patients. So I want to welcome Dr. Martin. And if you could just go into, you know, how you got into this work and just tell us a little bit about yourself. Great. Well, thank you again for having me. I appreciate you uh, taking the time and allowing me to speak and give my two cents worth. And I also appreciate all the work you do. I know it's, it's very, very important work at this time. So where am I? I am. Uh, Graduated chiropractic school in 1981. Um, I also met my wife in chiropractic school in 1978. And so we graduated together. Um, we got married right before we graduated. And then we actually had a child. And when we had this child, we realized like all of you do that you want to give this child the best start in life that you possibly can. And we did all the things that you would think a chiropractor would do. You know, we had a natural birth. We had a home birth. We took care of our child. But what we realized is that given our skill set at that time, we didn't really have what we felt was a capable skill set of how to actually take care of this baby's spine and nervous system or to adjust them. We learned how to do it on adults, chiropractic school. There wasn't much practice in pediatrics, but we also realized in sort of the chiropractic profession that it's in those first two years of life where you can make some of the greatest impact in neurological development. So we started on our path to learn how to take care of children and starting in Actually, as early as 19, probably 82, we started teaching our first seminars in pediatrics. And, um, you know, we had ended up having two daughters. We have two daughters. One of them is a chiropractor, um, two practices in the next town over. And we started our journey through learning through other chiropractic techniques and other mentors how to modify the work that they have done to fit the pediatric practice. Because the whole idea of chiropractic is not just to you know, fix an acre of pain, but it's to allow the nervous system to express its optimum potential. And there's no better place to start than with the pediatric practice. So we have been teaching for about 40 years, as well as running a private practice. Um, my wife has had her own practice for a number of years. And now we, um, she practices with our office. She's retired from seeing patients, but she runs the office. And as I said, I have two daughters, an older, my older daughter is in Colorado. And my younger one is here in Massachusetts as a chiropractor. And so it's been a, a long but amazing journey. We have taught thousands of chiropractors, adjusted thousands and tens of thousands of people over the 40 years. 
And right now my practice is largely pediatrics and moms. And so we do a lot of family work. Um, that's really what we, what our specialty is, is working with families. And yeah, we've been doing it, like I said, for 40 years and we really love it. You know, that's why we keep doing it. That is amazing. I, for one, love all of you chiropractors. In fact, I still see one to this day. <laughs> it's one of the things that I recommend to my clients that I'm working with, um, for my prenatal clients that I'm working with. And also after they have the baby, I definitely recommend that they see chiropractic care after they have a baby, but also, and people are so shocked. Yeah. I also recommend that they have their baby see a chiropractor Absolutely. and they're just like, wait, my baby can go to the chiropractor. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so what are some things that you do with, you know, pediatric patients? Yeah. So to back that a little bit, right. So we take care of moms throughout their pregnancy. It's extremely important. Um, you know, the chiropractor deals with balancing the spine, the nervous system, and also the pelvis and the pelvic fascia. So we find it helps significantly um, with the birth process for the mom, making it easier, dealing with the, the stresses that occur during pregnancy. Anybody who's been pregnant knows what kind of stress that puts on your spine and your joints and your ligaments. So we help with that. We also help with keeping a normal position with the with the baby, with the uterus and the round ligament and the inguinal ligament and the psoas muscle, all that posture around it. So when people are um, ready to give birth, one of the first questions a lot of my patients ask is when can or should you check my baby? And my answer is simply as soon as you're ready or able to come in to do that. So babies get checked by pediatricians. Um, they go through an exam, but there's really no one besides chiropractors that actually does the type of neurological and spinal and cranial exam that chiropractors are trained to do. We look for different parameters. So where a pediatrician might look, you know, for certain, you know, weigh the child, check pedal cutaneous tests, um, you know, measure, may do some measurements, check weight, birth weight, put them on kind of scale and do all that. Chiropractors actually try and check the function of the nervous system and how that has um, come out based on the birth process, you know, even a normal natural birth can be stressful for the child. Um, and again, assisted births, extremely stressful, forceps deliveries, vacuum deliveries, C-section deliveries. Those are extremely stressful on the child's delicate nervous system. And our goal is to make sure that there's no aberrant patterns, no trauma, no damage to the nervous system that the child will then have to compensate for, um, you know, pretty much for the rest of life if it's, un if it's not corrected. So we're highly trained. We, like I said, we have certification programs that train other chiropractors, what we're looking for. So it's somewhat of a different paradigm than if you brought your child, you know, to the medical doctor for their normal, um, postnatal visit. So we very special, we're very specialized in making sure that your child's nervous system and spine is functioning as best it can. And we see changes in all types of things, obviously in things like nursing issues, digestive issues. All those type of things that people often find having um, having trouble with their children, we find it could be sometimes related to trauma during the birth process. And if we can remove that trauma or remove that interference, those symptoms will change significantly. Wow. Thank you for that. Thank you for sharing that. And that is something that I go over with a lot of the clients that I work with, just the importance of chiropractic care. And even how certain birth um, 
activities and interventions really can affect their baby. And I really talk about this when I'm talking to my uh, lactation clients as well, because, you know, sometimes those deliveries can be so hard on the baby can affect breastfeeding. So um, leading into that question, our next question is, what are some of the challenges you believe parents face, um, you know, as far as like the care that they get from pediatricians and, you know, actually. That's a great question because, like I said, it's a different paradigm. So here's a perfect example. Um, I had a little baby brought into my office that was about three months old. And the reason the mom brought it in is that the baby was only having a bowel movement on an average of once every seven days. And in the last cycle, it was almost 20 days that the baby didn't have a bowel movement. And she brought the baby to the pediatrician. And the pediatrician basically said to her, don't worry about it. It's okay. Now, we all know if you don't go to the bathroom for 21 days or 20 days, that's not okay. So there's a lot of things that in the medical world, they may say, oh, don't worry about it. Let's give it time. Let's wait. And in my world, that's really scary. Because as I said, the first year of life, the nervous system is developing faster than it ever will before. Um, The brain is growing 101% of the time. The cerebellum, which is in the back of the brainstem that controls, is like the master computer system, grows 240% in the first year. And the cranium, if you ever look at a child's cranium, what we look at is those bones are separate. Like when the, one of the reasons when the bones are set like that and they have sutures is because when the child exits the birth canal, the cranium is supposed to compress so it can get down the birth canal. And then within the first seven to 10 days, it's supposed to spring back to normal. That often doesn't happen. And so if kids have, you see flat spots on kids' heads, or you'll see one eye look smaller than the other, the jaws twisted. Very often, if you go into the normal medical world, they say, well, let's just wait and see. And if you wait long enough, then they'll end up with a condition like plagiocephaly or brachycephaly or any of those, or, or sometimes torticollis. So these are all things that we're really trained to see and to basically get on top of as quickly as possible. The idea, again, is to get to the problem as soon as possible so it doesn't become a pattern. So challenges parents often see is, and I see that they feel like they have to fight between the pediatrician and the chiropractor. And that's not the case at all. It's a different, it's literally apples and oranges. It's like, I wouldn't tell you not to bring your child to the pediatrician and they shouldn't tell you not to bring your child to a trained pediatric chiropractor because what we do is extremely safe and we are trained professionals to do it. So it's not an if or, but I had a little girl brought in today who I've been taking care of and the parents are away for a couple of weeks and the baby had an ear infection. And they went to the doctor and they gave her antibiotics. And then she came in today where they got that vacation to, for me to check the child to make sure she was okay. So it lives in both worlds. The difference is, and that people don't understand, is that we always think of chiropractic as like pinched nerves or nerves pressing on bone or bones moving and pressing on nerves. That's not the case in the pediatric practice. What happens more often than not is what we call traction or pulling, which you can think about during the birth process as the child is pulled out. Tractioning on a nerve can be just as damaging, if not more so than compression on a nerve. So most of the things we see in the pediatric practice are where the spine, because it's hypermobile and the cranium is so mobile, is things have been stretched, right? Or they've been pulled too tight. Um, you know, for example, a little baby who doesn't like tummy time, and every time you lay on their tummy, they cry and they pull their head back. Well, that's a sign that their nervous system is too tight, that the attachment from the, the skull all the way down to the tailbone, there's a cord basically besides the spinal cord called the dura, which attaches around the spinal cord. It protects the spinal cord, 
It helps move cerebral spinal fluid and it creates tension on the nervous system. If that cord is too tight because it got damaged or injured during the birth process, then you'll have a child that's irritable. They don't like tummy time. They always want to arch their back. Even when they're nursing, sometimes they want to pull back. So these are the kind of things that we see and the kind of challenges that parents have is they need to have a place. That's what your job is too, is to help them know that they're not crazy. This is not, your child shouldn't be screaming. Your child shouldn't be able to nurse. Your child should wake up every hour and a half. They shouldn't have cramps all the time. They should have bowel movements, you know, regularly. All these things that parents intuitively know, all right, the challenge for them is to find somebody who'll listen to their intuition um, in a way that that can be accepted and dealt with. Um, that was so powerful. And I know for anyone that is listening, there are so many parents that even I come across where they're telling me like my, my baby is arching, they seem gassy, which is, I feel, I see that a lot, like the gassiness and, you know, things like that. And it, they know that there's something off, but you know, whenever they go to the pediatrician, it's for my breastfeeding clients, it's almost always a recommendation of formula. And I feel sorry for breastfeeding moms because sometimes someone will come in, let's say, and they, you know, haven't found chiropractic right away. And it's been a couple months and they've taken out wheat, they've taken out dairy, they've taken out eggs, they've taken out you know, soy, and basically they're sucking air and trying to nurse their baby at the same time because the baby's supposedly allergic to everything. It's like, no, people are not allergic to everything when they have some sensitivities, but it's the way that your system deals with those. And yeah, you can't have a mom eating nothing, trying to nurse a baby and be, come back from being pregnant for nine months and then delivery. I can't imagine how horrific that'd be and how exhausting that is. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But right. even still, like, what you just said is that finding someone to listen, because a lot of times these parents are just, they're given, you know, like gas drops or they're right. just told like, you know, it'll be normal in like three to four months. Right. <laughs> right. So, so don't worry about sleeping for the next three to four months. You'll exactly. be fine. Right. Yeah. And it was two years ago, I think it was, or a year with Trilosec and Zantac were the two most prescribed drugs for infants, you know, for get reflux and gastric distress. I'm like, that's insane. That's crazy, you know? And so it's really, so being in practice 40 years, what's really interesting is every several bunch of years, a couple of years, there's a new set of syndromes that happen with kids. Like, you know, when I first started, one of the reasons that people brought kids to chiropractors was because of ear infections. It was really common. Kids would have chronic ear infections. They'd bring it to chiropractors. We'd help their nervous and immune system. They wouldn't get it anymore. Then it started moving on. Then there was actually breathing issues. Some kids would have allergic reactions, maybe asthma type issues. And then it moved on to things like um, reflux, all right, stomach, cramps, gas. Then it moved on to plagiocephaly and brachycephaly. Then it went to torticollis. Then it went to neurological issues, you know, milestones. So every couple of years, there's things that gravitate or move people to chiropractic. And that's good in one sense, but it's bad in the other because we don't want to be compartmentalize like chiropractors treat this. We don't treat the disease process. We actually treat the patient and help them and their nervous system and their immune system heal from whatever the issue is. You know, it's like, uh, yeah. So, and we have to be careful about that is also to put us in the box. That's a medical model. Chiropractic is really a healthcare model. It's about stimulating and creating optimum health. It's not about just treating this sickness, that sickness, you know, that's a medical model. Um, we don't always have to chase the sickness. You know, there's a lot of 
things that happen. There's a nerve called the vagus nerve. People probably heard a lot about it on life. And the vagus nerve comes out from the cranium. It's one of the only three cranial nerves that come out behind the skull, comes over the front of the, the neck, goes down into the clavicle, into the diaphragm, into the stomach, and then into the large and small intestine on each side. And that nerve has a lot to do with digestion. You know, it helps digest it. If that nerve is irritated, it can affect how well you digest food. And it's one of the most common areas of the spine that gets injured during the birth process is the upper cervical neck. The other thing you see, which is so common, is kids who like to nurse one breast more than the other. Right? We see that. I like my child. She loves the right breast. The left one, I have to hold him in the football position. I have to hold him upside down. I have to, you know, you have to. And sometimes the reason is that's because the child's neck is tight on one side compared to the other and can't turn their head as well. Or sometimes the cranium itself, the palate is distorted. Like we always check the palate to see if it's even. And some, sometimes it can suck better on one side than the other because the palate is twisted. Or the other thing that's very prevalent now is tongue tie, right? Tongue tie, lip tie, and buccal ties. Every baby has one there. Well, again, we need to look at that and we look at not only if they have one, but how it's affecting function. And if they do have one and it gets revised, we still have to restore normal function. So that's really common thing. We see moms all the time with that, um, just having a horrible, horrible time. I had, I had a baby brought in the other day. They said, oh, yeah, they checked her at the hospital. He doesn't have a tongue tie. He's fine. You know, but he could only nurse on the right side and his suck is really weak. So I did my evaluation and I, you know, I opened the child's mouth. I lifted the tongue and I said to the mom, I said, look, it was, it was an anterior tongue tie. The kid could not, the baby couldn't get their mouth out. And they also had a lip tie and two buccal ties. I said, I don't know how they missed it, but your kid, obviously they can't pull their cheeks out. They can't get their tongue up. No wonder why they have a weak sock, you know? And that's not always something that needs to be revised, but again, you need to go to someone who knows how to evaluate that to determine, does this need a revision or is this something that the baby can do fine with? And that's again, another thing we see. And I feel so sorry for parents. It's hard enough being a parent. The last couple of years with COVID, I can't imagine what it was like to have to be, you know, stuck inside or whatever. The, the additional thing parents had to add on to and not sleeping because your baby's screaming you know, crying. I, ha I have a woman who just came in. Um, she's been impatient for a couple of months now. She brought her baby in and I said, how are you doing? She goes, I'm doing great. So my baby's sleeping 60. You know, when she first came in, the baby was sleeping an hour and a half at a time during the day and night. That was it. She goes, she's sleeping six to seven hours. She goes, I feel great. And I was like, yeah, it gives you a new life. You know, we always think of the individual and what we really think of, which is why we have a family practice is how does that affect the entire family? If you have other kids and you're not sleeping and they need your attention, you know, it's like, what is it? The, the squeaky wheel gets the grease, you know? So if you have a screaming baby, they're going to draw all your attention. If you have two or three other kids, they're not going to be happy about that. They're probably not happy about the baby to begin with. So yeah. So it's how it affects the whole kind of global aspect of the family and the dynamics. Yeah. Yeah. I absolutely love that holistic approach and looking at the the true big picture and you're right i see a lot of times in the medical model that we really are just treating the symptoms right um and it is really important to kind of look at the the big picture kind of zoom out a little bit and you know even for the pediatricians they may even make those referrals to see things like chiropractic but i kind of feel like you know do pediatricians are you guys all on the same page what is the what is the culture of 
you know, health professionals and chiropractors? So it's obviously changed. I mean, 40 years ago, it would be a rare occurrence for a doctor to refer to me, especially in Massachusetts, where I practice was the second to last state to actually license chiropractors. It was, we weren't even licensed in the states in 1969. So it was an uphill battle. Now it's a much broader battle. So we get a lot of referrals from dentists. We work with dentists all the time because of the tongue tie issue. We get a fair amount of referrals from pediatricians, but again, they don't, they don't always hold on to the bigger picture of chiropractic. So I, a perfect example, I had a pediatrician used to refer me to these babies um, for ear infections. And one day another woman came in, referred from someone else and said, oh yeah, I see Janet. Um, but my baby's had ear infections, you know, for a really long time. And so I said, gee, I wonder why she never referred this child to me. And so I called her up and I said, I said, Janet, I said, I, I, I really appreciate your referrals. This is really good. I was just curious, what is your paradigm? You know, what parameters you use to, to refer kids like to chiropractors if they're not getting better with your treatment? She goes, oh, she goes, that's easy. She goes, if a kid has an ear infection on one side and it keeps recurring, I refer to you. But if they have them on both sides, I don't, because I think if they have it on one side, there must be something structurally wrong with it. If they have it on both, and I'm like, oh, okay, that's an interesting pattern. Now, I didn't want to, I didn't want to burn my bridge because I was at least getting all the one-sided ear infections from so yeah, it, it, we have to open up, a, you know, people always think chiropractors and medical doctors are, you know, butting heads all the time. It's like, no, they have their world. We have our world. And I feel right now, in most cases, my experience has been positive. That I'll get some referrals from pediatricians. I can refer to a pediatrician. Patients are asking me all the time. You know, I've been in practice 40 years. So the worst part of that is that the list of referrals I have is smaller because most people have retired and I haven't really reached out back to the community again. Um, but yeah, we've always had a list of pediatricians who are open to whatever parents' particular needs, whether it was, you know, home births, whether it's breastfeeding, whether it was family bed, whatever, whatever you particularly want. So we always refer back and forth. And I do get, you know, referrals from medical doctors. Actually during COVID, we got a lot of referrals because we were open. We're essential care workers and the hospitals were busy and docs, you know, a lot of doctors didn't go in. So we got a lot of referrals that way. So um, I would say generally the temperature is warm um, as, as opposed to cold and it's not hot yet. But yeah, I've actually talked at um, Children's Hospital in Boston. They had me come speak to a group of their doctors. I talked to Brigham Women's Hospital in Boston also. So there's openings, but the biggest problem is the shift in awareness or consciousness. Like, what is the goal? So in my world, I think every child who's born onto this planet should have their spine checked. Doesn't mean they have to be adjusted for a long period of time or even at all, but they should be checked. Just like you bring your child to the pediatrician for check for their parameters. So that's my world. I think that's hard for some people to swallow, but that's my belief system. It's like when someone has a baby in my office, my first thought is when are you bringing them in? And most of the time, I would say 80 to 90% of the time, if I'm taking care of someone through pregnancy, they will then bring the child in to get checked. Wow. That is awesome. And I, I love that philosophy and completely agree with it. Yeah. I completely agree with it. Uh, so that's awesome. So thank you for sharing all of that. And I let's get into your book. That oh, oh really, yeah. Brian Ford would kill me if I did not mention that because that would drive me together. Okay. Yeah, so yeah. 
inspired you to write this new book. You can go into detail as much as you want. Right. So the name of the book is It's All in the Head. And my inspiration, which for so many things, was my wife. Um, she really wanted it. So I've written, I taught technique for years. So I've written several technique manuals for chiropractors, but we never wrote a book for lay people. And so her story is that we were at a seminar. I forgot where it was. I might've been Kansas city or St. Louis. Anyhow, we were teaching somewhere and we forgot our baby doll that we use for examples, you know, to show some demonstrations. So we went to like a Toys R Us to buy one. And she was looking around going, she goes, look at these baby dolls. Their heads are all weird. And I said, what do you mean? She goes, look at them. They're all twisted. And we realized that for some reason, the marketing world or the world had decided that this was normal. And she was like, this is not normal. This may be common, but it's not normal. She goes, this is crazy. So we ended up buying a baby doll, you know, we use, and we came home. She goes, look, we need to let people know that common and normal are not the same thing. Because we have to let them know that, oh yeah, because a lot of kids have this or Johnny down the street, that that doesn't mean it's okay. You know, it, when I was in a, a little side note, so when I was in chiropractic school, the number of kids on the spectrum, the, the percentages was one in 2,500. Now it's somewhere around one in 38. So it's becoming common, but it's definitely not normal. You don't want an entire, you don't want one out of every two kids to be on the space. So the bottom line is the book was written so that we can give parents, lay people, doulas, lactation consultants, and even other chiropractors a way to look at their child both neurologically, functionally, and structurally to see if there's something that should be done, some type of intervention that should be done before it gets diagnosed down the road. The other problem we also saw is most kids don't get diagnosed with a condition until they're like three or four years old, especially if it's a neurological issue or processing issue. And by the time they're three or four years old, it's kind of set into the nervous system. It makes it much harder. So we want to look at, so we gave in the book, ways to take a look to see if your child is up to speed, whether it be primal reflexes, milestones, structural distortion patterns, functional issues. So we did it for that so people could understand and be able to get the help they needed. We also did it for chiropractors. Instead of spending, trying to spend a half hour with every patient explaining what we do, they can literally hand them the book because it explains why we do what we do. So our motivation was to reach out into the general populace in a broader way, in a broader sense. Um, to give them some concrete evidence about what's necessary, what needs to do, and how they can help their children. Wow. Amazing. And uh, I'm so glad someone finally said it. Common is not the same as normal. Exactly. (laughs) That is something I say all the time. I've never heard anyone else say it, so... There you go. Love it, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and it's, you know, with people become... I mean, I understand. I mean, I was, you know, I'm a parent. My kids are much older now, so I don't have to worry about it. But I remember what it was like running a business, being newly married, and having children. And I remember how many things probably slipped under the radar. And so we want to really make it so people will kind of, you know, take things that happen and, you know, fight the big battles. And what we want them to understand is that, yeah, sometimes it's fighting the big battles, but sometimes it's the little battles that you have to fight. So that the big battles don't occur, especially when we're talking about neurological development in kids. You don't want to let things slide away before to make it harder to retrace back to that point. So it's really, really important that we catch these kind of things so that, you know, I have a perfect example. A little girl was brought to me. She was 18 months of age. Um, and one of the reasons she was brought to her, she had digestive issues. She was, had behavioral issues. She wasn't sleeping well. Her mom, you could see in her mom's eyes, you know, she, this was her second child. She was like, 
this is a living nightmare. And so when we did her evaluation, we, you know, we got a case history. And one of the things that the mom had said is she noticed that her child, you know, the first eight or nine months was kind of different than the other child was developing normal. And the other thing she did is she didn't creep or crawl. Like she skipped that whole stage of creeping and crawling. So the time, time she was 18 months of age, she was really very challenged in a lot of ways. And what was amazing about it, besides the fact that she got better and she was able to sleep, is her mom came in somewhere after a month of care and she said, you know, what's really amazing. I was, I had, I brought her downstairs with her brother and I went downstairs to get her and she was creeping and crawling. She was crawling on the floor with her brother. And she goes, she's never crawled before. So she was actually, the child, when she was getting just it, actually reprogrammed her whole nervous system. Now it's hard to do that at four and five years old, but at 18 months, she was able to do that. So the point is that this mom noticed something was wrong, probably went to the pediatrician and said, hey, you know, she's not creepy and crawling. And they probably went, don't worry about it. You know, she's going to be walking soon. And that's a missed milestone. And that can be a neurological problem. So yeah, we really, really, really think that in the beginning stages, first, those first two years of life, the little things really matter because they're so intensified in the way the nervous system is developing. Yeah. And moral of the story, I feel like, is parents, trust your instincts. <laughs> yeah. That is really the moral of the story. Yeah. So tell me a little bit more about the topics you're going to discuss in your new book. Okay. So I actually have it here. I think I'll let me grab it. Okay, I'm back. So this is the book. It's called "It's All in the Head." It's you know we really wrote it for lay people. We made it digestible. It's not 350 pages. Um, and the beginning of it, which you'll love, it says "common versus normal." That's the top of it. So it's all they had common versus normal cranial distortions and what they mean. So as I said, the things that we discuss in the book by the chapters are really about development. We start with some anatomy and physiology to give you a baseline. So you understand what you're looking at, why you're looking at it. Then we go into neurological development and we talk about that first. This book is basically structured a lot in the first year of life because we thought that was a period that was so important and left out. So how your child's nervous system develops what the different parts of the nervous system are, why they're important. Now we talk about um, reflexes, primal reflexes, milestone development. Then we actually have pictures of different heads and distortion patterns. So we show pictures of the cranium. Um, we call it the chapter is called the shape of things. So we have diagrams of what a normal cranium looks like, what a distortion can happen. We talk about some of the things that can occur that cause these distortions, what to, and then also what to look for and your child when you're seeing it, so both structurally, what to look for, and function, what to look for. And then we talk about what you can do about it, what type of interventions are helpful. Now, we don't go into a whole, you know, it's not chapter and chapter of all these things. We kind of point you to directions of where to go to get help. So it's not like if you open the book and go, oh, my child does this, oh, I'm going to do these exercises. No, it's basically when you find something wrong, where you can go for help, why you should go for help. And and that's it. It's, it's kind of, we made it very digestible. Well, at least I think we did. And that's kind of the feedback we got. Um, so it gives you a guide. Gives you So when you feel that, when you're that parent goes, there's something not right. And you read this book, you go, I knew it. You know, I knew it. There's, there's not, in my experience, in my office, 
if I have a kid that comes in at four years old, five years old, seven years old, whatever ages, and they now have been diagnosed or the parent is knowing they have a problem, there's not a parent that I have gone over the case history with, especially mom, who said, who hasn't said that, you know, I knew something was wrong or strange by the, you know, the first 18 months and I couldn't get anybody to listen to me. You know, they just, and that's, to me, that's a crime. Wow. Yeah, it is. And I'm so grateful and thankful that you are out here doing this kind of work and this important work because parents need that and they need someone that's going to be open to listening to some of the challenges that they're facing. And, you know, a lot of times when parents have these things going on with their babies and their parental instincts are going off, you take them to the pediatrician and, you know, they're told like, oh, everything's okay. And right. so these parents kind of feel like, what's wrong with me? Am I crazy? Oh, yeah, that's, <laughs> mom's always, you know, it's appropriate that you said, it's like a mom can't nurse. And the first thing the pediatrician says, well, why don't you use formula? So are you saying that my baby's allergic to me? Like my baby can't eat what I produce, but when you give me a formula, if I turn the back of that formula open and I read the ingredients, there's no food in it. Like it's a, it's not even food. Like, how can you digest this stuff? Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah, it is. And it's like that baby, you know, the babies who we get, and we get a lot of babies who are constipated. I get kids who come in now, five or six years old. They've been constipated for literally five years. And, you know, they're on whatever it'd be, Metamucil. And it's not getting to the crux of the problem. And some of these kids, it becomes a problem because the constipation not only is painful, but then it creates avoidance issues. And then a lot of these kids also have things like enuresis, which is bedwetting at night, because that whole, that whole system, that elimination system gets haywire. And so now you have five-year-olds who are still in diapers at, you know, at five years old at night because they can't control it. And this is a process because the underlying condition wasn't treated. Giving a kid a laxative so he goes to the bathroom doesn't treat the underlying condition. Just like giving a kid an antacid because they have reflux doesn't treat the underlying condition. And what your hope is, is you take the drug and eventually the child will, and these are air quotes, will outgrow the condition. But why was that child, why was that condition there already? And of course, that's the common versus normal. You know, the number one drug, like I said a while ago, was for antacids for babies. So, oh, this is normal. All kids have, you know, all kids pull up. All kids have colic, you know? No, they don't, you know, and they probably shouldn't. Right. Yeah. Well, okay. So that even goes right into the next question that I have, which you kind of have touched on it a little bit, but do you believe some of the challenges that, you know, these babies have, do you think that is mostly from birth or do you think that also happens during development in utero? Oh, in utero. I think a lot of it's touching. I was talking about a month or two ago to, uh, it was a podcast with a chiropractor and a doula and she was amazing. And what was amazing to me is, you know, we talk about, you know, what primal reflexes are, right? You know, it's the baby's, you know, startle reflex. Break. She said, in her opinion, the first normal reflex is for the ability of the baby to turn head down in utero. And if you have a baby that's not able to turn it down, they're actually missing their first reflex. So yeah, it's absolutely part of the process. You know, we all know if a mom's really stressed. So the, the blatant thing is, Bad nutrition, right? If you don't eat well when you're pregnant, that's bad, right? Um, if you, you know, if you get um, diabetic, pre-diabetic, that's bad, all those things. But all those other stresses, if your life is very stressful, that adds into the baby. You know, if your structure and function is 
stressful daddy, if you're in pain all the time, Matt, I remember having a mom coming in and it was towards the end of a pregnancy. Finally, somebody referred her to me. She had had sciatica, which is pain in her low back all the way down her leg for the last three months of her pregnancy. She was in tears. That's not a good thing for the baby, you know, at the same time. So there's no, there are been millions and millions of studies saying that the external environment, while the baby is inside of you and the internal environment have just as much of an effect. You know, people play different types of music, talking to the baby, all that stuff affects how your child's nervous system grows. The nervous system is, it's a clean slate. The nervous system is a clean slate. It's the way I like to tell people, I say, look, you buy a computer, you take the computer home and it has a certain amount of RAM and it, you know, it has big enough hard drive. It has a graphic card, it has all this stuff in it. And, and then if you take the computer home, if you don't put software in it, it's a useless piece of metal. Well, that's what babies are. They are a developing system. They have all the parts. When you're born, you already have all your parts. Like if you're born as a healthy baby, you have all the parts of your nervous system. You have all the parts of your own organ system, your immune system, all that's there. And now what happens is input is being, or software is being put in so that you make those connections and you process it. And that's happening in utero, right? In the first couple of weeks that you have a notochord, which is the spine. That happens with, I think it's four weeks, heartbeat, four weeks. So all this stuff, is imprinting on that child from the moment, you know, probably from the moment of conception, but we know within the first couple of weeks when those systems are forming, that is part of the process. Okay. Wow. And a lot of the stuff that you're talking about, um, I know, I don't know if you know, um, Dr. Neil Bergman, but he also talks a lot about yeah. that stuff too. So that's really fascinating. And, um, so is there anything that you know, moms can do during their pregnancy to like minimize or prevent these problems? Yeah. Well, well the easy thing, which I always tell people is just get all the stress out of your life, right? That's all it takes. <laughs> but no, so, so moms, it's no different being pregnant, except here's the difference. When you're pregnant, you become responsible for two people automatically or three, if you have two, whatever it is, but you're already responsible for another being. And so if you live a lifestyle where you want to take care of yourself, then that's part of what you need to do. You need to continue that. So eating well, getting exercise, going to a chiropractor, getting your spine and nervous system checked, making sure that your pelvis is balanced. So all the things, taking some time for yourself. Now, I know this sounds great. And I know that people have different lifestyles and sometimes it's very stressful. And sometimes someone has a baby that they weren't quite ready for, you know, and so there's all those stresses, but to minimize that stress and to deal with it as best as you can. And the other important part is to not beat yourself up. You know, we all make mistakes. We all have slip ups. We all have moments. You know, if you've ever raised a kid, um, I would imagine that there's a couple of times my daughters probably thought I raised my voice inappropriately to them. Um, but, and, and so the bottom line is stop blaming yourself. We're all trying to do literally the best we can given what we have. So within those parameters, and get support. That's the other piece that don't isolate. You need to get support, you know, whether it be from a friend, someone else who had a baby, a professional, you know, like what you do, a professional, like what I do, get some support. You know, I, I was telling a mom today, this, 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 um, this parents, they brought in a little baby and it was very stressful. The baby's birth was stressful. The baby had been crying for a whole month. It's just got under care. It's been the third visit. And they say, it's like a different child. And I said, well, when I was first in practice, I had a very kind of freaky, scary incident. A mom came in to see me. She had had her baby 
was five months old. She had just moved to the area. She had no friends. She had no support. Her husband got a new job. He had to go to work. Um, they only had one car. She wasn't able to leave. She was, you know, came a state, was a stay at home mom at that moment in time. The baby was crying, was irritable, you know, was latched to her breast 24 seven. Anyhow, the bottom she came in and she looked at me, she had this looking at me and she went to hand me the baby to do my exam. And she goes, I want you to know, Dr. Rosen, she goes, I think I understand child abuse. And what she was saying was, help me, was help me. I'm so stressed. I'm here. I'm new. And so we, you know, besides adjusting the baby, we helped to connect to some other people. We know some, you know, other parenting groups and stuff, but she was completely isolated, completely on her own with a newborn baby. You know, her husband, nice guy. He was nothing really. He just, they just moved up here. He had to work, you know, he, he couldn't take three months off. It wasn't the job didn't offer it, especially back then. It was in the eighties. Nobody got, you know, you didn't get paternal leave. Paternal leave was you got a weekend off. And, but anyhow, so those are the kind of things parents need to take care of themselves, understand their, you know, dealing with more than one person and not beat themselves up. You know, it's do the things that you would do to keep yourself healthy. And, and that's what you really want to keep doing. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I tell moms and I have, I'm a mom of five children. So okay. <laughs> <laughs> I completely understand. And. I, I have to tell other moms that I work with, and like I said myself, that it's you really can't pour from an empty cup. Like, right, right. to really take care of your children in the best way that you can, put the oxygen mask on yourself first. Um, that's super, super important. Right. And I feel like I can go on and on and on on another podcast about paternal maternal leave and no, no, the lack of support right. parents yeah. gave <laughs> That is the whole world. Yeah, the whole world. We all have to do the best with it in yeah. our situation. And, and that's, you know, I think, you know, at the end of the day, my dad always said to me, he used to say to me, he goes, look, there's always going to be someone smarter than you. There's always going to be someone better looking than you. There's always going to be someone bigger than you, faster than you, doing better than you. He goes, he goes, forget about all that. He goes, just do the best that you can in every given situation. So you go to sleep at night. You know you did the best you can. And that was the greatest advice pretty much that he ever gave me because it allowed me to really, you know, just look at myself. Did I do as best as I could do, you know, that day? And and some days it's no. But overall, most of the time it's yeah, this is this is I'm doing the best I can do. I don't want to hurt people, you know. I don't want to get people fight with people, but there are some times when all that happens and you have five kids. Yeah, my um my sister in law has five kids as well, you know, and when we got to, I mean, they're all older now, but you know, family gathering at one point at Christmas, we had nine granddaughters, my parents, my grandparents, my, my wife's parents had nine granddaughters, no grandsons. So it was quite a trip with nine, nine little girls running around, you know, and you could see the parents. And so, yeah, mitigate the stress, fill your cup a little bit, get some support and, and don't beat yourself up. I don't know how else to say that, you know? I, I always, I always feel so sorry for, or sad. Sometimes a parent will come in like, you know, because a lot of people who go to chiropractors tend to live, let's say a more natural lifestyle. And I'll have a parent come in and they had this whole thing planned, the home birth, they had their midwife, they had a doula, you know, they had everything set up and they ended up ending up with a C-section because there was an issue. Like the cord, one of them just came in, the cord was wrapped around the baby's neck three times. So that was an emergency. There was a C-section that. And the, you could see the mom beating herself, like, what did I do wrong? You know, I said to her, I said, look, you didn't do anything wrong. She kept understand this. 
two beings at play here. We don't know what the other person needs or that, or the baby needs. He said, you didn't do anything wrong. You know, obviously you planned for this wonderful birth and you ended up on a hospital with C-section. That's just the way it happened. It's not your fault. You know, now we'll just take it from here. Yes. Oh, so many just golden nuggets in that last five minutes that you just spoke in. I really appreciate you saying that because I'm sure there's someone listening to this podcast right now and they needed to hear that. So again, thank you for saying that. It's so, so, so important for moms and dads um, just to understand that you're doing the best that you can. So that's enough. I have a quick story I want to say because it's very yeah. good in my heart. So as I said, our first baby, um, you know, we got pregnant in chiropractic school and we read every book you could, you know, from spiritual myth, midwifery, you know, you know, all the classics from, um, oh, what's her name again? Anyhow, like the, the original start of the home birth movement, you know, and we read all these books, how birth was supposed to be and what a rush it was and how the mom can breathe and all this stuff. And so that, that first birth was, it was a home birth and we did it. My wife was in labor for, I think it was 26 hours. It was difficult. It was also you know, back labor and she's, you know, I'm a chiropractor and she's yelling at me and, about, and it was just this old, but anyhow, we gave birth to this amazing little baby. And, um, the next day we got up in the morning and my wife said, can you do me a favor? And of course, yeah, we just gave birth to our daughter. Anything you want? She goes, remember all those books we got, you know, spiritual myth, life and how birth is such a beautiful, and she goes, can you bring them all into the room? And I said, okay. I said, what do you want me to do? She said, I want you to put them at the foot of the bed. And I want you to light them on fire. I want to see them burn. <laughs> and I was like, okay, why don't I just donate them to the library? I said, but it's like, you know, that was her experience. It was a very, you know, we had this idealization of the birth and it came out great and it worked great, but there were points in it where, you know, what didn't quite fit the picture. Oh, yeah. Actually, it's so funny that you mentioned that. I actually just talked to a client yesterday who, had a really amazing home birth and, um, you know, everything, uh, there's some hard parts again in that, in that birth as well. But I think she, she just had this whole picture of what she really wanted her birth to look like. And she's actually really disappointed with that, those results. And, um, gosh, it was so, and I had to keep telling her, I'm like, you did so amazing. And, you know, I, I'm like, you did the best you could with everything that you had. So. Yeah, and look what you have. Look what you yeah. have. You have a baby now. Yeah. Like, this is what the purpose was is to have the baby. Yeah, right? yeah. That's cool. Let's yeah. go have the baby. Yeah, it's it's hard, you know. Judge, I I find people who tend to be either self reflective, and there's a difference between self reflective and self judgmental, and that's what it has to be. So there's nothing wrong with being self reflective. You know, it's like a woman who wants to do a V back. You know. That she had a C-section, she didn't, you know, now she wants to do, and they prepare for it. All these patients I know, they prepare for it. They do whatever they can to make it as much as possible that they can never, never have a VBAC. And one of the big things is they need to get external support. Like if you have a doctor who thinks, I had one patient who came to me, she was very upset, her OBGYN, and I thought was a man, she said, was a woman, said, oh, she goes, you can't have a VBAC. She goes, the baby didn't get out, the first baby didn't get out, your body doesn't know how to do that. Yeah, exactly. I said, you need to find an old, new OBGYN. You can't go through this birth with that woman again. You know, and I was shocked that she said, but your body doesn't know how to do it. I'm like, wow, that's crazy. Oh, man. I, yeah, I have a client right now. I'm dealing with that same exact thing. Yeah. 
She's going for a VBAC and her doctor is not very really supportive. So, uh, guys, again, support, but the right support. The right. Um, eh, gosh, thank you for again, <laughs> mentioning that because um, I talk about that a lot on my podcast, actually, about yeah. how, it, how important it is to get the right support for the goals that you want for exactly. yeah. you know, your birth and your postpartum. So, yeah. So, my next question is. You know, what advice do you have to give to other health professionals? It's it's a hard so you really have to stay focused on what your patient needs or your client needs. You really need to keep competition out of the marketplace when it comes to this. So I've been in practice forty years. We have what's called a waiting list practice. I'm semi-retired in practice. So it's like I never at a loss or a lack for patients, but I know in some venues, in some areas, people compete with who can do what and who should do what for babies. So I really think healthcare practitioners stay in your lane. Like I have a lane. So I, my lane is making adjustments. So I have kids who are neurologically challenged that need exercises, need OT support. PT. I do not do that in my office. I refer them out to people who need that. If you're an OT, a PT, a speech therapist, a lactation consultant, a dentist, anything where you see a functional issue that you know also has a neurological instructional component, you need to find somebody to help you with that. I never tell people, like if a person is brought to me or a dentist refers someone to me, sometimes there's a one dentist in particular we use that. Sometimes we play off of each other in a positive way because we're not sure the tongue tie revision needs to be done. And so what often she'll do is say, look, go see Dr. Rosen. Let's wait three weeks and see what happens before I do, because this is the kind of revision that I don't think needs to be done. And I'll do the other vice versa. I'll say, look, um, you know, this may need a revision. Let's give me three weeks. If it doesn't change in three weeks, if your baby still can't nurse, you know, the suck's still weak, whatever, I'm going to send you to, you know, Dr. Aronson and she'll do the revision. So we need to be able to coordinate. Um, and talk to each other and be open to what the other person is doing. Like, you know, I don't want to do OT work. I don't want to do PT work. I don't want to be a lactation consultant. I certainly don't have the skills to be a doula. Um, so yeah, so try and stay in your lane. If you stay in your lane, then people are willing to help. You know, it's no different. We call it stay in your lane because it's like the highway, man. You stay in your lane, you know, bother other people. Someone needs to pass you. You need to pass somebody else. It's all okay as long as we're doing it with a clear conscious understanding of what we're doing. And most importantly, taking the patient, which in this case, the child and the family's um, needs as a priority. Like what do they really need? And, and to keep that as a priority. So that's kind of what I would say. Yeah, that partnership among health professional, I definitely agree. And it could be in a lot of ways, a lot stronger if we can all come together and, you know, yeah. work for our patients, doing those proper referrals. And if you really want to veer off your lane, then get the proper certification. <laughs> we notice a lot. So if we have, let's say a child is brought to us, let's say they're four or five and they're either doing speech therapy or some kind of OT. What often happens is once they get under chiropractic care, the mom will come in and say, you know, we just went to the OT and the OT said, I don't know what's happening to Johnny, but he's making leaps and bounds faster in these last three weeks than he did in the last six months. And the reason for that is because we're opening up the channel to the nervous system. We're moving the blocks. So that's happening. And I'll say the same thing. It's no different. Patient comes in 
with an athletic injury. Let's say they dislocate their shoulder, right? So I'm going to adjust them. We're going to make sure it gets stable before they exercise and to work, rebuild the shoulder. Well, if a kid comes in with some kind of neurological deficit and part of that is within the chiropractic paradigm, which basically needs that their nervous system is, is compromised and we can help that. Then once we open that up, then the next step is, okay, now you have to reprogram or catch up for lost time. So now it's time to do PT or OT or whatever it is, or go see a lactation. So because we then dealt with the underlying condition. So that's what people have to look at. You have to see, you know, number one is you have to be honest with yourself as a practitioner. Like, is this really in my paradigm? Do I need help here? You know, is there an underlying condition that I'm missing? You know, it's, I remember talking to a mom once that she was her daughter, bringing her daughter into um, a physical a PT twice a week for six months. And finally, somebody referred to me, I said, well, was she getting better? And she said, no. I said, so you were coming to see somebody twice a week for six months and your daughter was still not getting better. I don't think it's the parents as much because it's hard for them to say, but it would be the healthcare practitioner's, you know, job to say, hey, maybe we need you to do something else, you know, because that's a pretty good try, you know? So yeah, I think that's, that's the kind of thing you have to be honest with it twice a week for six months and getting no results, or at least according to the parent, you know, child's not any better. I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, I myself, again, like I see chiropractic here, um, after like during my pregnancies, I had a lot of pubis synthesis function and just a lot of misalignment. And what I actually did, and I, again, I tell my patients or not my patients, my clients this all the time, but go see a chiropractic uh, chiropractor and also go see a public support therapist. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And doing those combinations, even for myself, doing both of those, I yeah. amazing results. Amazing. Okay. There's a woman, um, that I just found out from a patient of mine that does a lot of work with, um, you know, people who are torn transverse abdominal muscles and stuff in the pregnancy. One woman, she did a patient, she has an eight centimeter separation. Um, and it did cause some other structural issues, right? So we found this woman and I've been adjusting and she went to see this woman. It's amazing the work the woman's doing. She's down from eight centimeters to one centimeter. She looks like I said to her, I was kidding you the other day. I said, wow, you got your six pack back. Now this is, this is um, eight years after having her last child. She had three kids, but it's absolutely amazing to see it. And like, yeah, it, specialists and those kind of things are just incredible. You know, and you're right. Supportive care is exactly what it means. It's supportive of what you need. All right. This has been so much fun. I've learned so much from you. This has been fabulous. And I'm definitely going to add your book on the list of Kindle books that I have. And we'll be recommending it as well to, you know, other professionals in my community. Um, I actually just did, I've done like two book interviews in a row uh, with Jack, Jack Newman and Kathleen Kindle Tackett and well, okay. my, my book list is <laughs> you attach it to Oprah's book list. I know, right? <laughs> so is there anything else that you would like to add? And if not, where can we find you online? Okay. No, I think um I think we've covered all the bases that we can cover. As far as finding us online as a patient or a layperson, you can find us our, our office website is Wellesley W E L L. E-S-L-E-Y, Cairo, C-H-I-R-O, um, dot com. My professional website, or for programs and stuff like that, is for 
It's called peakpotentialprogram.com. And so the Peak Potential Institute is the company, but it's peakpotentialprogram.com. And that links to my um, Dr. Martin Rosie, and it has all our courses and all that stuff on that. And if you want to contact us at either email, you can either contact us at the Wellesley at gmail.com, same Wellesley Cairo at gmail.com, or doctor, spelled D-R, Martin Rose in my name, at gmail.com, and we will get back to you. So those are the easiest ways. And our book is also on the side. If you just want to look at the book, it's at all, it's called it's all in the head book.com. And you can get the book there. And it is sold on Amazon, but Jeff Bezos probably doesn't need the money. You can probably just buy it directly from the website. <laughs> Absolutely. So I will list all that and the show notes and I'll leave out Amazon <laughs> out of the show notes. And where is your practice? I'm not sure if you put it. Okay. My, my practice account, it's called Wellesley, Massachusetts. It's about 14 miles west of Boston. Okay. So we're actually on the 14th. 14 mile mark of the Boston Marathon is kind of where my office is. Oh, wow. That's very cool. Yeah, yeah, the marathon runs by the office. You used to have marathon parties all the time. <laughs> that's <laughs> awesome. And that sounds way funner than uh, Cleveland, Ohio. I don't think, I don't even know if we have any amazing marathons in Vienna. <laughs> but you have the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. That is true. <laughs> that is true. It's so funny when anyone talks about Cleveland, they either mention the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame or LeBron James. It's like... <laughs> well, we, my daughter, my younger daughter used to be a gymnast, which is good. And they used to have the Junior Olympics out in Cleveland. We used to go out there, you know, a couple of times, well, every year for a couple of years to go out to the Junior Olympics and went to Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. My favorite part of that was we were, um, we wanted to go out to dinner. I think it was a Morton Steakhouse's downtown or someplace. With it, yeah, and and we were going to leave. We only had like a two-hour window before she had to be back for practice. And I, it's like 5 o'clock. I said to somebody, where's a good place to go? And they said, well, there's places downtown in Cleveland. I said, but I, I wouldn't go downtown at this time of day. It's, the traffic is horrendous. And we're like, well, we don't have an option. We went down to, you have like two blocks of traffic compared to what we do on the East Coast. It was like, it took us like 15 minutes to get there. I can't get out of the, you know, out of the suburbs in Boston at 530. And um, yeah, so we, we thought it was really fun. We're like, okay, that's your traffic jam, two blocks. And literally, oh my gosh, that is so funny. Our traffic is not bad at all. Like no. you don't even stand still for more than like, 10 seconds and we were like shocked like okay i don't know what these people are talking about but yeah. <laughs> oh that is so awesome okay right. dr martin i appreciate you coming on this podcast and i hope everyone who is listening thoroughly enjoyed that go check him out go check out his website and go buy his book in the meantime i will see all of you guys later and on the next podcast thank you so much and thank you so much for having me appreciate it I hope you enjoy listening to this podcast as much as I enjoyed making it. Our journey doesn't need to end here. To find out more information about all things pregnancy, birth, and postpartum, head to my website, www.fruitofthewombbirth.com. You can also find me on Facebook and Instagram. Don't forget to hit that bell button to get alerts on any new episodes. And if you really like what you're hearing, give this podcast a five-star rating. Can't wait to see you in the next episode.